How many of you ever read much in the Old Testament? They read Old Testament stories? There are some intriguing and interesting stories in the Old Testament. And uh, many of them have great, powerful lessons for our lives today. And a few months ago, I came across one of those stories that just intrigued me. And as I thought about it, it just captures everything I want to say to us today about sharing the treasure, sharing the the gospel treasure. And the story is found in 2 Kings chapter 7. And it's about these four guys who have skin cancer, severe skin cancer, known as leprosy. And uh, they lived in a town called Samaria, part of the northern kingdom of Israel. And Samaria was under siege at the time. Uh, An army was attacking them, the army of the Arameans. And they had built siege ramps up against the walls of the city. And so the, the folks inside the city were kind of hunkered down and their food supply had been cut off. And so there was a famine and people were just scraping for any scrap of food that they could find. And so there are these four guys. And in 2 Kings 7 verse 3, the story picks up and it says, Now there were four men with leprosy at the entrance of the city gate. And they said to each other, Why stay here until we die? If we say we'll go into the city, the famine is there and we will die. If we stay here, we're going to die. So let's go over to the camp of the Arameans. Okay? Let's go over to the army's camp that's attacking us and let's surrender. And if they spare us, we live. If they kill us, then we die. But we're going to die anyway. So they kind of discussed it among themselves. And it says in verse 5, at dusk, they got up and went to the camp of the Arameans. And when they reached the edge of the camp, not a man was there. So get the picture. They walk into the enemy's camp expecting to find, you know, thousands of soldiers, and it's a ghost town. There's nobody there. For the Lord had caused the Arameans to hear the sound of chariots and horses and a great army so that they said to one another, Look, the king of Israel has hired the Hittite and Egyptian kings to attack us. Get the idea here? God confused the enemy. And so they got up and fled in the dusk and abandoned their tents and their horses and their donkeys. And they left the camp as it was and ran for their lives. So this opposing army is just scared out of their minds and they hightail it for the hills. Verse 8, the men who had leprosy reached the edge of the camp and entered one of the tents. And they ate and they drank and they carried away silver and gold and clothes and went off and hid them. Then they returned and entered another tent and took some of the things from that and hid them also. So they stumble upon this treasure trove of stuff, food, loads of food and clothing and gold and silver, just this treasure. And they just start to indulge themselves in it. And then I love this, verse 9, they have this aha moment, this dawning. Then they said to each other, We're not doing right. This is a day of good news, and we are keeping it to ourselves. If we wait until daylight, punishment will overtake us. Everybody's going to find out what we did, that we're kind of hogging all the good stuff for ourselves here. Let's go at once and report this to the royal palace. Have you ever had one of those moments in your life where it dawned on you that what you were doing wasn't right? That's what happened to these four guys as they're chowing down on you know, scrumptious 
food that they've found and all this treasure and they're sitting there enjoying themselves, kind of indulging, and all of a sudden they go, hey guys, wait a second, this, is, this just ain't right. We ought to be sharing this with others. We ought to be sharing our treasure. You know, one of the raps against the big suburban evangelical church is that they are full of self-absorbed suburbanites who are nothing more than consumers of religious goods and services who sit around indulging themselves in all their good stuff and don't share their treasures with other people. And I don't know about you, but I strongly dislike being caricatured that way. And maybe one of the reasons I resent it so much is that there's some truth in it. Maybe it's more true than we care to admit. So today I want to remind all of us in this suburban evangelical church that our great creator God calls us to take that treasure that we've stumbled upon, the the gospel treasure that we've been talking about for the last seven weeks. God calls us to take that treasure and to share it with others, not to hoard it to ourselves. Share the treasure. Maybe like those four lepers, we should be looking at at each other saying, you know what, this ain't right. (laughs) We shouldn't be hogging the good news all to ourselves. This is a day of good news. Let's share it with other people who desperately need to hear it. This weekend we finish our series. We conclude our series on the glorious gospel. And... uh, Many of you over the last few weeks have asked me, you know, are, are you going to help us share it? Because we, we want to share this with family members and friends and others. Are, you gonna, are we going to get there? And we're going to get there today. We're going to talk about sharing the treasure. And I want to give you three challenges related to this notion of not hogging all the good stuff for ourselves, but sharing it with others. And there's a study outline that you can pull out of your worship folder to follow along with us. But First thing I want to say to you is this. We, we share the treasure by sharing the gospel message. That's how we share the treasure, by giving the message away. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 4 says that the gospel is a precious treasure. And in verse 7 it says, we have this treasure in jars of clay. Speaking of ourselves, our, our bodies, it's basically saying, We who know Jesus Christ are carriers. We are carriers of this precious gospel treasure that we have received and believed. And because we are carriers, that means that wherever we go and whomever we're with, we have the opportunity to share that treasure with them. Thumb through the pages of the New Testament sometimes, particularly the Gospels, and you'll see it over and over again. Share the gospel. Proclaim the good news. Tell the story. Be witnesses, Jesus said. When we take the opportunities that God opens up and share that treasure with others, it can change their life and their destiny forever, can't it? We have the privilege of doing that. Some of you I know, you do this naturally. You're just good. You're gifted by God. You're sharing the treasure of the gospel all the time with people. It's It's natural to you. You can just weave it into your daily conversation. People respond to you. Praise God for you. Others of you have a desire to share 
this message, this treasure with others, but you struggle mightily with it, with fears and inadequacies, and you wonder, you know, do I know enough? I don't want to say something wrong. I don't want to mess it up. And so you struggle with sharing it. Others of you shared it at one point in your life, and it didn't go well. <laughs> and you decided then and there, you kind of made a vow, I, I'm, I'm opting out of this thing. I'll, I'll come to church. I'll be a member. I'll serve. I'll get in a small group perhaps, but I'm going to leave that evangelism stuff to Billy Graham and his ilk. Count me out. Because I tried it, and it didn't work for me. It didn't kind of blew up in my face. Well, I want, to, I want to challenge you with several ideas along these lines. When it comes to how do you go about sharing, sharing this gospel message, okay? And I'm going to encourage you to write down three things. Know the story, know your story, and know a story. Know the story, know your story, and know a story. So what are you talking about? Well, I'm talking first off about the gospel itself. You've got to know the story. The story we've been talking about these last seven weeks. The story of the gospel. And let me share it with you one more time, okay? The story. And uh, as I read this, if you want to say amen... In here, at any of these points, after any of these sentences, feel free. Feel free. The gospel is the story of how God created the world and the people in it, of how mankind has and continues to rebel against God and reject his authority by sinning. We saw how sin formed a barrier between sinful people and a holy creator, preventing us from glorifying him and delighting in him as we should. Instead, becoming by nature, as the Bible says, children of wrath, deserving of eternal judgment. But the gospel is good news. It's good news of how God wasn't content to leave it in that state. The gospel is good news that God is a God of unfathomable love. And out of love, he crafted a marvelous plan to reconcile mankind with himself and how that plan was carried out by a person, his son, Jesus. The only one who could carry it out. The eternal second person of the Trinity, God the Son, Jesus, who came to this earth, lived that perfect life that none of us could live, and then died on an old rugged cross, an old rugged cross, shedding his blood as the payment for our sins. Amen? That's the gospel. And that blood streaming down the cross that day was the payment for all of our sins. And three days later, God the Father raised Jesus from that grave in part to demonstrate that the Father said, yes, it's good, it's enough. That payment is sufficient to cover all the sins of all mankind. Jesus then appeared to many people as proof of his resurrection before ascending back into heaven and sitting down at the right hand of the Father, signifying that his redeeming, Work was finished. That's the gospel. That's the good news. That's the treasure that needs to be shared. And then we saw how the only appropriate, effective, God-honoring response when you hear the gospel 
is to repent of our sins and believe. We trust in Jesus Christ and call upon him to save us. And when anyone does that, and some, have, some of you have done that these past seven weeks, that he does the unthinkable. He takes our sins away. He like puts them as far, it says, as the east is from the west. That's a long way. He throws our sins in the sea of forgetfulness and remembers them no more against us. He wipes our slate clean before him. That's good news. And if that weren't enough, not only does he deal with our sins, but when we believe the gospel of the cross of Jesus, God gives us the gift of his son's righteousness. That perfect scorecard, that straight A report card, He takes our sins and gives us the righteousness of his son so that when you stand before God one day at the end of your life, being one who has believed the gospel and God looks at you and says, why should I accept you? Why should I let you into heaven? You go, well, I have this perfect record here that's been applied to my account. When I came to the cross and bowed my knee to Jesus Christ, he gave me his perfect record of righteousness, Father. And that's been applied to me. And that's my only plea. That's my only defense. I've had the righteousness of Jesus applied to my account. And God says, that's what I wanted to hear. Come on in. Let's enjoy each other forever. That's the gospel. And we need to know that story. The story. We need to know it. I um, This week, I'm going to put several things on our church website for you to log on and download and print out and read. I'm going to, this story I just read, the gospel, with all the scripture references in there. I would encourage you this week to go to enewlife.com and download that, print it out, read it, saturate your mind in it. So that when that opportunity comes to share the story, you know the major truths of the story of the gospel. Know the story of God's reconciling mankind to himself. And then know your story, because you have a story, right? In your life, you have a story of how you encountered the, the truth of the gospel message and how you responded to it. Everybody in this room has a a story of how that happened. And, and maybe you think, well, my story isn't very dramatic, you know, like some people. I wasn't laying in the gutter with needles coming out of my arms. Now, some of you, that was the case. And Jesus rescued you. And we thank God for that. Others of you may feel like your story isn't that spectacular. But, but regardless, it's your story and it matters. And there's people who need to hear the gospel from someone just like you. You need to know your story. And and I like to encourage people to write out. Take the time to write out your story. Not the 100-page version, but the Reader's Digest version. You know, the one-page version of your story. And it has three chapters to it. Chapter one is my life before knowing Jesus Christ, my B.C. era. Here's what was going on in my life. Here's what was important to me. Here's how I thought. Here's how I felt. My life before knowing Christ, that's chapter 1. 
Chapter 2 is how I came to know Jesus Christ, how, how the gospel came to me. Who, who was involved? Who did God use? Who was praying for me? That's chapter 2. And chapter 3 is now that I've encountered the gospel and believed it, how is my life changing? What's, what's it meant to me to know that, that I have eternal life, I'm forgiven, I have the righteousness of Jesus, I walk with him every day? What changes am I seeing in my life? Three chapters to your story. And I would challenge you, if you've never done so, to write out your story. Yes, know the story, but also know your story in a way that you could articulate it to someone should that opportunity arise. I did this a few years back, and I'm so glad I did it. It forced me to put words and phrases and sentences to my story of my coming to Jesus. I'm just curious. How many of you have written out your story somewhere at some point in your life? Can I see your hands? Okay, good number of you. If you've never done that, I would challenge you to do that. Your story. And then a story. Know the story, know your story. But then I would challenge you to to know a story that captures the essence of the gospel and that connects with people in our culture so that they can get it when you share it. A few weeks ago, I was talking with... um, a new friend of mine, Alan, and he was talking to me about how he shared a story with someone in his world and it just connected with them. And I've asked Alan to come right now and to share that story with us of his talk with this gal named Rachel and just the particulars of, of what he shared with her. So, Alan, come on up. Yeah. <laughs> Well, let me, let me first tell you why I like sharing the gospel as an illustration. I like sharing it kind of as a narrative, as a story, uh, when I talk to people, because it's, it's easier, I think, to personally connect with them. It's easier to kind of talk in a natural way and have us have a kind of a conversation instead of just laying out the gospel events. And so I really like sharing an illustration. I even look at Jesus uh, when he shared with crowds of people or even when he shared with his disciples, often he would share some illustration or a narrative of some type. And usually it was specific to the culture that they lived in. And so I like sharing a story that seems pretty specific to our culture, that makes sense to people that live here and now. Uh, Something that they've probably seen on the news or on a TV show. Something that they're familiar with that they can put themselves in that setting. It makes a much more comfortable and natural conversation. And so I was having lunch with this gal named Rachel, and we're just talking about uh, church, some, and, and religion. And, and at one point, I just asked her, I said, hey, Rachel, has anyone ever shared the core of, like, the Christian faith? Like, what Christianity is all about? Why we believe what we believe? And, and she said, I think so. Well, maybe. No, I'm not sure. So I can tell you. And she said, yeah, that'd be good. And I said, have you ever broken the law? Like, say, gotten pulled over for speeding. You know, or, you know, going through a stop sign, just kind of doing that rolling stop, doing one of those kinds of things. Have you ever been pulled over? And she said, you know, yeah. I said, me too. Got the record to prove it. And I said, well, picture this time. You're going like 20 miles over the limit. I mean, you're going real fast. 
and it's in a school zone. And you hit a kid in a crosswalk. I mean, this is, this is big stuff, okay? And so now you're nervous. They're taking you to court. You're not sure what's going to happen. You don't know what the penalty is for this. But you know it's probably not a good thing. And you're standing in court, not sure what to think. And the judge comes out. And the judge is your dad. And so you're thinking, oh boy, lucky day. My dad is the judge. He's going to help me out here. He's going to figure something out. So your dad starts going through the charges, listing them out one by one. And then he says the consequences for these charges. And because of the severity and the recklessness, it's life in prison without parole. And you're, you're getting a little nervous, but it's your dad, right? He loves you. He's going to figure out some way. He's going to soften the blow somehow. And as you're standing there, all of a sudden the gavel bangs down and it's done. And he declares a life sentence in prison for you. You're shocked. You rush to the bench. You go to your dad and said, Dad, how come you didn't let me off? And he says, I'm a fair judge. I have to give out consequences for the crime that you committed. And you look at him and you say, but I, I, th- I thought you loved me. And he says, I do. And he stands up, takes off his robe, steps down off the bench and said, that's why I'm going to serve the sentence for you. And at that moment, Rachel said, wow, I was not expecting that. The gospel got through. The gospel got through to Rachel. She was able to see how Jesus takes her place. Sacrificial atonement now makes sense. And I told her, I said, this is why I love telling people about Jesus. This is why I love telling what he's done for me. And now it made sense and we can communicate about it because she knows where I'm coming from. She knows why I'm grateful. She knows why I want to share with her about what he's done. It makes sense. This is a great way for you to share your story. Afterwards, you can tell them why, where you came from, how you feel now, why you're grateful. It also, it's great. I love this story because it answers questions people are asking, like, how could a loving God send people to hell? Right? Steve talked about this a couple weeks ago, how that's really a man-centered question. And it should be a God-centered question, which is how could a righteous God allow anyone who's not perfect into a perfect heaven? And I love this story because it shows the righteous judge, the innocent sacrifice, and the perfect love. It's the point where they all meet. Righteousness, perfection, and love. And it answers the question, how a loving God provides a way for us, not perfect, to enter into heaven. Does that make sense? You see that? And when I share this story, sometimes it takes uh, different shapes. It depends on when and who I'm sharing this story. If it's over lunch, very casual with a friend, or if it's having coffee with someone I don't really know, or the break room table at work. But usually when I share the story, it has just a couple key components. I'm going to give those to you again, so that way you can kind of soak 
those in your mind. I talk about how you broke the law. We all have, right? We agree on that. You go to court and the judge is your dad. You assume punishment's going to be less, but it's the same because he's a faithful judge. You ask, does he love you? He says, yes. Takes off the robe and says, I'm going to take your place. And then I usually share my story right after that. Hopefully you see this as a very natural way. You can just talk to people right where you're at, right where you're living, rubbing elbows with the folks you're around. Thanks. You're a preacher, man. I know you run a dentist office, but uh, I think you're a preacher. (laughs) Know a story. Know the story, know your story, know a story that captures the essence of the gospel. I love that courtroom story because it it does. It captures the essence of substitution, the core of the gospel. So I'm going to ask you to write down a website on your notes there, enewlife.com, www.enewlife.com. We're going to put that story, the courtroom story, on the website with scripture references We're going to put the story, the gospel story that I read earlier on the website. And so I would encourage you to visit the the site this week, download those, read them, read them over and over again, become equipped, become prepared, so that when you're in a situation where the Holy Spirit's opening the door for you to share the gospel, you got something to say. Like our ladies, I got something to say that's coherent and and articulate and makes sense and captures the essence of the gospel. Now, sometimes when we're sharing with people, sometimes we are planting the seed, sometimes we're watering the seed, sometimes we're fertilizing or pulling weeds or pouring sunshine on it, sometimes we're reaping, but we need to understand that this whole notion of sharing the treasure is a process in someone's life. Paul mentioned this when he was talking to the Corinthians about how that church started out. 1 Corinthians 3, verse 6, he says this, I planted the seed. Apollos, my cohort here, watered the seed, but God made it grow. So neither he who plants nor he who waters is anything, but only God who makes things grow. The man who plants and the man who waters have one purpose, and each will be rewarded according to his own labor. So we need to see ourselves as spiritual gardeners, spiritual farmers. And with some people in your life, you're sowing the seeds. First time they've ever heard the gospel. With some people, they've already heard it. You're watering the seed with your prayers and with your lifestyle of love. With some people that you meet, you're, you're pulling weeds. You know, you're answering questions that have been obstructing their understanding of the gospel. With other people, you're, you're just living the joy-filled Christian Jesus life before them, and that's like sunshine causing that seed to germinate and to grow. And sometimes God brings you into someone's life at a point where the gospel is ready to bear fruit, and you get to be there to lead them across the line of faith. And that's fun. That's a blessing. You know, many of us have loved ones, don't we, who don't yet know Jesus? Friends, co-workers, dads and moms. Some of you have grandparents who are now in their 70s or 80s and they don't know Jesus yet. And their time is getting short. 
when we finish out our time, we're going to have a special prayer time around these crosses where you're, you're going to be able to get up out of your seat and come and kneel and just take some time to pray that God would work in their lives and bring them, bring them to Jesus, bring them to the gospel. So we share the treasure by sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ. Let me mention a second way we share the treasure. We share the treasure by planting new churches. By planting new churches. You see, study after study has shown that the most effective tool for evangelizing an entire city is the starting of new churches. New, brand new, God-centered, Christ-exalting, gospel-driven, spirit-led, transformational churches. And when, when that happens, an entire city can be transformed by the gospel. And when that happens in enough cities, the whole world can be transformed. That's what happened back in the first century when those first Jesus people saw themselves as treasure carriers, saw themselves as missionaries sent into their city, saw themselves as spiritual farmers spreading the seed, and they planted churches. And within a few months, some very flustered government officials were complaining that those early Christians had filled Jerusalem with their doctrine. Within 30 years, Colossians 1.6 tells us that the, the gospel was bearing fruit all over the world. That's what we want to do. We want to fill Franklin County with the doctrine of Jesus, with the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's why New Life Church Gehanna is a church-planting church. That's why our vision is to ask God to use us to start 20 churches in 20 years. By the year 2020, 20 God-centered, Christ-exalting, gospel-driven, spirit-led, transformational churches. Could God use us to do that, to fill Franklin County with his doctrine? So far, in our 2020 vision, six other churches have been planted, including our first ever granddaughter church just a couple weeks ago down in Franklinton. You need to know that our goal here in this church is not to build a huge empire here. It's not. It's not ever been our vision. What resonates with us is bringing people in, building them up in the faith, and then sending them out to start new churches, to evangelize our city, to spread the fame of Jesus Christ far and wide, to make his name famous. We're not out to make a name for ourselves, but his name, his name. Churches filled with people who are sharing the treasure of Jesus with their neighbors and their friends and their community. And you need to know that God is orchestrating some things. He's doing some things in our world of church planting here that, that it's his work. It's amazing. Over the years as we've started churches, folks have always come up from within. New Life Gehanna and then gone out. And that's, that's good. But what's happening lately is we got on somebody's radar screen somehow. And now people are starting to call us. And they're saying, look, we have Columbus, Ohio in our crosshairs. We want to start a church in Columbus. I'm talking about young, sharp, godly, sold-out men and women, couples are saying, we want to move to Columbus. We believe God's called us to start a church there. And we want to link up with a mothering church, a church-planting church. And we hear that you do that. 
Could we talk? Could we talk? Maybe there's a match here. And, and this is happening like more than once. And I've been meeting with these folks and we've been talking about this. And God's, there's a window opening here. God's up to something in our city. He's sending people to Columbus. We need to be ready. Here in our own plans, two future daughter churches are in the incubator right now. And now these others are lining up behind them. Plus the other New Life churches are strategizing on how to plant more churches. All of our churches, our seven churches, are part of a little family of churches, a little network that we call the New Life Network of Churches. Some of you know this because you've been around for a while. Others of you, this is new information. So there's this network of New Life churches that are cooperating, lead pastors praying together, strategizing. God, show us how you want to plant more churches through us in central Ohio. And you know what? Maybe, maybe God's going to call some of you to become part of a church planting team at some point in time. That's how it's happened. That's how all these churches got planted. People like you of New Life Gehanna linking up with a, a church planter and going with them to start a brand new church, to share the gospel in another community, another part of our city. God might be calling you. Would you do that? Would you offer your life, your gifts, your talents, your resources to become part of an effort like that? I'll tell you, it'll change your life. I did that 24 years ago. Pastor Brian did that. Hundreds of people from New Life over the past 10 years have gone as part of a launch team. Some as small as 25 people, but as many as 70 people have left this place to become part of a church plant somewhere else around our city. It's thrilling. It'll change your life. If you ever feel a tug, you know, that you're wondering, this desire coming up inside of you, and you're wondering, what do I do with that? I would encourage you to do several things. Pray over it. Pray over it. Offer it back to God. God, is this from you? And then I would urge you to count the cost because there will be a cost. It is a sacrifice to yourself, to your family, to others. And then I would urge you to submit your will to God's will and say, Lord, your will be done in and through me. And if the desire lingers and, and, and seems to be growing, then I would encourage you to talk to somebody about it. Talk to your small group leader. Talk to a ministry leader on staff. Talk to a pastor. Talk to me and just say, I got this desire in me to, to pioneer and go out and, and help a church planner start a brand new church. Who knows how God might use you? Well, there's one final way to share the treasure that I want to mention just briefly this morning. We we share the treasure by sharing the gospel. We share the treasure by planting new churches. And we share the treasure by sharing our treasure. What I've come to realize is that humanly speaking, humanly speaking now, this whole vision, this whole thing hinges on the generosity of God's people. God's people seriously and sacrificially giving of themselves, giving of their talents, their time, their energy, and giving their money their resources to make this happen. That's why I say we share the treasure by sharing our treasure. Jesus once said this, I tell you, use worldly wealth to gain friends for yourselves so that when it is gone, the money, the wealth is gone, you will be welcomed into eternal dwellings. Luke 16, 9. You say, what does that mean? That means this, that someday... When you go to heaven, because you've believed the gospel, someone's going to walk up to you 
and shake your hand because there's no H1N1 in heaven. Or maybe hug you or maybe give you a kiss on on the cheek and they're going to look at you and say, thank you, thank you, thank you because you gave your resources that enabled me to hear the gospel of Jesus Christ. I believed it and now I'm spending eternity in heaven with you and with Jesus. Thank you. Wouldn't you like that to happen? Wouldn't you like to be welcomed into eternal dwellings because of how you've invested your resources here on this earth? You see, every one of us has to make a decision. How am I going to invest my earthly resources for the best return, both in time and in eternity? More toys, more clothes, more stuff. We've all got to answer that question in our own hearts, don't we? And we can follow the path of our culture that says more is better. More. Accumulate more, 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 more. Or we can follow the path of Jesus that says, I'm going to give away everything I can give away for the sake of the gospel and the cause of the kingdom. Here's the bottom line truth. How you and I spend our money reveals the extent to which our heart has been captivated by Jesus and his gospel. That's what he said. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Think about it from my perspective for a moment. Whenever a crew of people leave this church to go as part of a launch team to start a new church, their tithes and offerings go with them. And that's a good thing. We want that to happen. We want that new baby church to have that revenue stream, that funding source, so it can get off to a good start. We want that to happen. But that leaves us with a challenge here in the mothering church that those of us who are remain here and those of us who are coming into this church. So far this year, about 85 families have become ministry partners with us. It is then up to us to sacrifice and give of our resources and make up for those that have gone away and be our brother's keeper in that sense so that that cycle of reproduction can start over again. You know what my motto is for this church? Always pregnant. So you have that motto in your family. (laughs) Always pregnant. There's always a new church in the incubator, in the hopper. Always pregnant. How about every nine months? It's popping out a new baby church. Wouldn't that be cool? I'd love to get there. Baby thinks it would be cool. (laughs) We love babies and grandbabies. Just recently, uh, a colleague on staff asked me a question that startled me a little bit. It got me thinking. They said, you know, with the economy the way it is and all the transition in our church and, you know, so many people relocating to other parts of the country to find work and others transferring and resettling elsewhere, can we really do this? They asked me, can we really do this? Can we really keep planning churches and giving people away and giving resources away? And I thought, you know, that's a good question. The moment we start hoarding the treasure, the moment we start sitting on it, the moment we say, we're not going to give it, we're not going to share the treasure, that's the moment we start to die. 
We've got to share the treasure. <laughs> through sharing the gospel, through planting new churches, through sharing our treasure so that it can continue to happen. I, don't, I do not believe God wants us to become ingrown and die. I want to be a baby factory, planting, birthing new churches all the time. For that to happen, all of us must do our part to be faithful and generous and, yes, sacrificial in our giving and to have an open hand with each other, giving other, each other permission. If God calls you, you better go. Whatever Jesus tells you to do, do it. And then trust God to make Jesus famous in our city through us. Amen? That's what we want to do. Let's never stop sharing the treasure.